In this episode, Damon Burton, an SEO veteran of 17 plus years, gives us his unique perspective on SEO in 2023 and beyond. Specifically, we were talking about AI. We chatted about how some SEO companies are using AI to generate content, and we talked about our preferences on using AI to help ideate content briefs, but not to generate content. And we go into why that is important. This one gets deep on Google algorithms and frameworks, but we do our best to break them down to their simplest forms. Won't you please join us? Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Marketing Journey Podcast, where we help coaches, course creators, and entrepreneurs who are struggling to grow their businesses online. Hey, it's Matt Hepburn. I'm a digital marketing professional with 14 plus years of experience, working as a consultant, working in agencies both large and small, and for the past eight years in the enterprise sector for some of the biggest brands out there. I provide marketing tips for coaches, course creators, and entrepreneurs so that you can grow your brand. Hey there, Damon. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great, man. I appreciate you having me. Good to chat. Absolutely. I was hoping you could talk to the listeners a little bit, talk about your company and, and what you're doing and, and a little bit about your experience, and then we can jump into the questions if that's good with you. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I'm a family guy first. I've been married for 17 years, three kids and, um, about the same length of time also coming up on 17 years, uh, I started an agency. Um, so I ran SEO national for that time frame, And, um, very early on, I knew I didn't want to be an agency that offered it all. So I have just stayed in my lane of, of SEO over that entire time frame. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, that, that's actually great, man. I I'm right there with you. I've been doing SEO for about 14 years now. Uh, just coming up on 14 and uh, I've stayed in that lane. Um, so kudos, man. That's yeah. a lot of people try to offer everything, you know? Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, so you got a good amount of time too. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, I didn't realize how much in its infancy SEO was when I started because my background before that was design. And so it was a very natural transition for me. And sure. I just, it was just, just another thing for me. And I didn't realize until retrospect, probably about eight, nine, 10 years into it, I was like, oh, that was kind of new. You know, for me, it's kind of crazy where I see things. Uh, I got into enterprise. Uh, I got out of working agency small. Um, and what I found was that the larger the company you go, the slower the behemoth moves. Yeah. And really, really surprising, you know, gigantic brands with billions and trillions of dollars in their name. And they hadn't had SEO prior to that, yeah. to me coming on board. Very, just very. I'm like, how did you get this far without that? So, yeah, kind of, I'll, I'll yeah. agree on both of those. It's, I think the area that I see the SEO lacking the most is in the bigger, yeah, the, the bigger industries. And I will definitely agree. I have started to shy away from the billion dollar leads because it's just too painful. The the politics and the red tape and and how slow it moves. It's just slow. It's just slow, and it's hard to get things. Um, it's hard to be agile, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, so. Let's actually go into the questions a little bit, um, because even though you don't have this gigantic company, you have a company that's made multi-million dollars and uh, without any advertising. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so I have a team of about 60, and um, the, they've uh, been remote entirely. And um, yeah, uh, we've been fortunate enough to build up a reputation uh, for results. And so, uh, you know, when you get in with respectable, successful entrepreneurs, and once you establish proof of concept and results, then they kind of let you in on their inner circle. And, you know, you, you 
once you earn somebody's trust, then they're willing to put their name behind you. And so then they refer you to two and then two becomes four and four becomes 16. So, um, you know, up until about three years ago, we had grown purely off of referrals. And then, and then about three years ago, I started doing a lot on social media and, um, very anti sales pitchy. I'm just not a salesy kind of guy. And, and I just enjoy helping people just like we chatted briefly before we hit record. Mm-hmm. I just like, uh, I've been fortunate enough to find a reasonable level of success where I just enjoy giving back and bringing other entrepreneurs along, along the journey. And so, um, in doing that, it ends up, being a win-win because I help people and then that also establishes credibility. And so that's that's um, helped grow the business a lot and it's probably matched potentially outpaced referrals in the last two or three years doing that. Man, it totally matches with uh, Google's EEAT framework, right? Uh, experience and expertise, what you're doing. So that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about like how has SEO helped your own business, right? Organically. So this is a great question because, and it's a fun one to answer because it's largely the opposite of what you probably would expect in SEO. Um, mm-hmm. I largely do not uh, optimize uh, my team does not optimize our site for SEO. We do, but you know, we do the structure, we do the content, we do all the usual stuff, but we, mm-hmm. we're not aggressive about it. And and there's a very intentional reason why is I do not like one of the last things I would want to rank for is SEO. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because it is such a disqualified broad term. And then also a big chunk of the people that might go Google SEO, they're not potential leads. They're people that want to learn SEO or there are other SEO agencies checking their own positions. So we largely focus on ancillary things and, and variations and things to the sides of SEO. So it might be based on, um, you know, more just organic traffic type phrases or, um, you know, content copywriter based phrases. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we don't optimize. It's ironically not a huge part of our marketing strategy. <laughs> okay. So I was actually going to ask you, uh, cause I was looking at your site and, uh, I wanted to know how you felt about permanent person schema and same as schema as it relates to the Google's EEAT framework. I love schema. I absolutely love schema. This is funny. Nobody's ever asked me this. Um, And so this is great because obviously you understand schema. Um, Schema is one of the, I don't want to say secret weapons because it's like, it's not a secret, but it is so underutilized. And so for the audience that may not understand the schema, a really simple way to look at it is it's structured data. And so when, when Google or another search engine goes to your website, it makes it a lot of educated guesses. And it says, well, I think this is Matt Hepburn. And I think this is his agency. And I think this is a podcast. But you can wrap these little snippets of code around the back end. On the front end, you don't usually, you don't typically see something visually. But on the back end, it says, no, 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 Google, I'm telling you with definitive clarity, I am Matt Hepburn. And this is my business and this is the services that I do. And why I love that is because not only does it increase the, 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 the relevance of your content. So Google now understands the context better. So it trusts it more. And so now it's likely to position it higher. But in addition to it likely positioning your website higher, it also, if it does show you higher, it may show you bigger in, in what a lot of people call position zero. And so you get this big expanded result. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love it. And especially when we have a, a new client that comes in that has historical content, but maybe it's not properly structured. Those are the opportunities where you come in with a client and go, look, you know, there is truth to this taking a long time, you know, and the, and the year of expectations, but you have a high probability of having a home run earlier on because we could just amplify what you already have that's just not getting looked at correctly. 
Yeah. And uh, I like the same as schema because not only is it definitively saying who I am here, but now I can add all my social profiles. If I have author bios on third-party websites, if I've been in podcast interviews as a contributor, I can say, yeah, that's me. And mm -hmm. Google will connect the dots and better understand it's this one person. Now I'm not competing against myself. Mm -hmm. And with EEAT, um, especially the 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 focus on expertise and experience, right? Um, if I can do things like on a podcast one sheet, put my different links to uh, that and have that in there with a SAMA schema, now I can better index them. And because we're talking and we're giving our points of view, right, on our experience, those links now have EEAT on, in them. They're much stronger. So I love that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the, there's value in having these other assets show up too. Obviously, you want right. to optimize and position your site. But what's great is, depending on the, the different types of marketing you're doing, um, some of these organic searches, obviously, the goal is to bring inbound leads. But a lot of times, they also they may not bring in leads from other channels, like your social media may drive leads. And, you know, if you're doing paid ads and this and that, but these other organic results can convert the leads from other channels, because a lot of times leads will be exposed to you in these other formats and platforms right. and podcasts, and then they go Google you. And so they may not, they, they didn't search your brand. And so your company website didn't show up, but then they see the multiple results of you and go, Oh, that person's an expert. Right. Exactly. So, one of the, the, my questions, and it seems like maybe other people are asking this too, is if Google's always changing, um, is SEO worth it, right? If the algorithms are changing, um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so this one is, is one of my favorite things to touch on because it's largely different than probably what a lot of other people think. In mm -hmm. my opinion, Google has changed very little. Now, I, I do agree and acknowledge the ways that other people interpret that it has changed, but here's the way that I look at it. So if you look at um, the evolution of search engines and algorithms over the years, there has, yes, quantifiably been lots of changes. But if you look at the, the concepts of each of those algorithm updates, most of them just you can distill them down to just three things and it's uh, algorithm updates based on a website structure so does it load quickly you know a couple of years ago it was mobile friendliness um user experience and then the second category is content so do you clearly communicate your value propositions do you write unique value-added content and then the third structure third potential algorithm changes based on external credibility so that usually refers to citations and links and mentions mm -hmm. so if you look at it from just those three perspectives i couldn't identify an algorithm there may be some in the future that come out but i can't identify an algorithm that has modified anything outside of those three areas. So if you're always staying focused on just those three core concepts, you don't have to get distracted. And I think that's what's helped me in, in, in maintaining a reasonable level of success over the years is I don't get caught up in all these algorithm changes. And I'm not looking on, oh crap, do we need to change our model because a thing changed? Because those things that changed are still those three core concepts. And as long as we're doing those three core concepts, you know, out of all the algorithms, we've never had a client get a penalty. If anything, we're up. Worst case scenario, we're neutral. Right. Right. So uh, I love that. Uh, I love where that's going. Um, and let's tie that in since we're talking about that. Maybe the entity SEO. Want to give us a preview of how you guys are using that? 
um, uh, elaborate for me on entity well, SEO? Topical clusters. On so if we wanted to rank for, mm. if we want to rank for a topic, right? It seems like Google is definitely moving more towards. Well, let's put it this way: away from the old adage is if you had tons of referring domains and links that if you put a post on your website you would rank faster and it's more about if you deeply cover a topic in depth and breadth mm -hmm. on your website that you tend to get more rankings yeah so the I think there's more value these days in, in overall authority and overall credibility. And, and so when you think about like a really simple way to have a perspective on SEO is what websites make Google look good. And Love so that. when you, when you think about that, Google's less likely to send a visitor to your website. If it loads slow, if it has broken links, if they hit dead pages, because that makes Google look bad for recommending that to solve their question. So the same thing applies to your question about, content right so google is more likely to send a visitor to a website that answers the direct question but also has more supportive analysis behind it or diversified media or a breadth of content on that so like when we when we board a new account the first thing we do is go you know obviously like okay where's the money for the client and what's the main target so they can monetize but then after we establish the the main targets and we go what are the things outside of that that support the overall authority of them and so it paints a picture uh, as the client or the business or the entity being an authoritative body on the topic as a whole instead right. of just that one excessive keyword that you beat over and over and over i love it i love it it's a it's a great explanation about it um just wondering if you could talk i'm going to pivot a little bit if you can talk about uh, your position on paid ads versus organic traffic, and like you, you, I've seen a lot of things on on your on your sheet there about you know how they convert better, how they click better. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I, I've never. I think all forms of marketing have advantages and disadvantages. So it's I've never been one to like throw rocks, but you can look at these from like a factual position, right? And so paid ads, the advantages are you can get them up and running quicker. That doesn't necessarily mean you monetize them quicker, but you can collect data quicker. Um, the, now, when you compare that to organic, you know, actually one of the things you just mentioned about algorithms always changing, I think it's quite the opposite. Like when, you, when you're running paid ads, you're constantly looking at your, your ad platform on a daily basis. You're looking at your budget on a daily basis. You're looking at your click-through rate, your conversion rate, your competition, what's going up, what's going down. And you don't at least i don't i'm not in looking at daily potential changes on seo it's like slow and steady right um so the the if you look at um you can look at it paid ads versus seo based on time and cost and so it just depends on um the position you're in and it's not a zero-sum game either like you can run both but the nice thing about organic is that you know paid ads does not influence organic but organic can influence paid ads largely because of the things we talked about where it's like user experience and content relevance so when you run paid ads you have an ad quality score and part of that's based on how relevant is the ad copy to the landing page you're sending them to and part of it's based on user experience how quickly does the page load so here's a really good way to think about these ad platforms whether it's facebook or google if if you set up an ad that platform is going to ping your site before it sends a visitor to it to see what the experience and engagement is like. And if it's slow, then Google's going to say, well, 
this person's less likely to convert because it's more painful of a landing page. And so if it's less likely to convert, the advertiser's less likely to buy more ads. So I want to get my money now. And so they're going to increase your customer click. But if it's a good user experience with relevant content and it loads quickly, then it's more likely that will convert. And if it converts, then the use then the advertiser is more likely to buy more ads. Therefore, the platform is generally going to discount that cost per click. So you can optimize your landing pages, your websites, and your funnels. Um, a lot of what I've been doing lately is consulting on um, funnels. I'm in uh, Russell Brunson's inner circle, which is a mastermind that's largely driven by people that run funnels and paid ads. One of the best things I've been able to give in that community is go, look, I'm not going to optimize your funnel from a true SEO perspective but I can cut the page speed in half. And it's been so fascinating seeing what happens and how that impacts. We've seen um, increases in conversions by 27% in opt-ins. Right. We've seen- Because you're cost. improving the quality score of, of the- Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cost per leads dropping from $9 to $3.80. Right. And these are SEO concepts that only take 20 minutes. And you just, you know, if you're spending a million dollars a year on ads, now you're effectively reaching twice the audience for the same amount yeah. of money. It's great. It's great. I've never heard quality score uh, explained that way. So it's wonderful. Yeah. So, all right. So I'm going to go in a different direction. Um, if you're using AI at all with SEO, I uh, was wondering if you can give an overview of your how you're using it. I know some people use it to totally create content. I don't do that. I use AI to assist in what we're doing. And for instance, building content briefs with maybe chat GBT four with a code inspector and maybe the people also ask questions from also asked, right. And mm -hmm. then, um, develop a content brief from that. So I was wondering, um, if, if you guys are using a AI, how are you guys suggesting that it be used? So, so we're using it very little, um, and intentionally, um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned also ask you're the first person that I've ever heard mention also ask. Usually it's answer to the public. Um, also asked is great. So we use also asked and tools like that for, um, the, the extent we use AI is only for content ideation. And right. even then it's to fill in the blanks. So we have processes that we've built out to go create these content calendars so we only use it at the end to go hey is there something else that we didn't think of mm -hmm. now the reason why we haven't gone heavy into ai is not that it isn't attractive like i get why, you're, why everybody's so attracted to it um but i have a huge concern about quality and, and so we, earlier we talked about how um reputation is a, is a big part of of the agency and i want to protect that and that's, that's not to say there aren't ways to put in checks and balances in ai but what I've seen is uh, a, an increase in lazy copywriters. Yeah. And so what happens is I, I made a post about this the other day with a screenshot that illustrates this. Um, when So there's lots of ways you can come up with content, right? So you can do content internally and you map it out and your copywriters build it. But there's also other ways you can leverage other people's audiences. And so I'm going to walk through that example because I can... I can visual I can visualize for you ways that we're seeing these lazy copywriters attempt to leverage AI. So like one way that you can leverage other people's audiences is you can basically do crowdsource pieces of content. And you right. can say, hey experts, we're gonna do a piece on my client's website about X, Y, and Z. Would you like to contribute? And in return, we'll make you look good. And so then you catalog the, uh, the responses, um, you know, run it through CopyScape, remove sales pitches, remove duplicate content. Now what I've seen dramatically spike 
is the duplicate content. And what's funny is um, we we had an intake of like five responses on a, a, a particular topic. All five had matches. And I guarantee all five of those people did different prompts in their AI. But what's happening is is this content, you know, AI, at least in its in the the way it exists now, it doesn't come up with new content. It it repurposes existing content. Right. From and so 2021, it, right? Or 2022. So, something yeah. like that, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it has to, it is being sourced from somewhere else. That's right. And because of that, um, one, you don't necessarily know. I mean, you can ask it for prompts. Uh, you could prompt it and say, where did you get this some of this data from? But two, even if you do know the source, you don't know if that source was accurate to begin with. Right. And then where probably my bigger concern is, is what are the long-term liabilities? So when you start digging into who owns the copyright to the output data on AI, it's probably not you. And so there's increasing amounts of legislation that are around this. And, and so my concern is, um, you know, can it work? Yes. Are there safety checks and balances you can implement? Yes. Um, but how dependent are you going to be on something that you don't own and you don't control the output? And you don't know what the liabilities are going to be. Yeah. So I'll tell you how I've been using it for content briefs uh, with ChatGPT4 and Code Inspector. So we may actually give it a prompt to have a buyer's avatar as to who we're targeting. And we'll say, hey, we want to write this blog post and this is our title for the blog post. Um, then we'll upload our overarching um, keyword data from also asked in into um, the code inspector. And we'll say, look at these top questions that are found in Google and tell us what are the overarching top topics, 10 top topics from this. And then we'll have it give us the top topics. We'll download the PNG file from also ask, and then we'll have it inspect it with the RPC code because it doesn't really look at a PNG file. Mm -hmm. And we'll say, okay, now reorganize these topics on the hierarchical basis of the, the, the image that we just gave you. And then we can go back in and say, um, you know, if there's a product level thing or whatever we have to add to make sure it's, it's tied into that. And then we add a summary and it's for some writer to write, right? It's right. not, it's not to, it's just topics, subtopics. These are, and we have the instructions of like, these will be the H2s. Make sure you include a summary up at the top and now put a bulleted list uh, or, or use a, you know, a table of contents plugin or whatever it is, yeah. we're going to want to link down to the other sections, but that's, that's how we're using it. So, um, more to generate, uh, ideas, yep. but, uh, nothing else and let it be all original content. Yeah. I mean, something like that's great because then it serves as inspiration more than actual content output. That's right. Right. And then we have to double check against the writers to make sure they didn't just copy and paste something in yeah. from, the, from the brief into it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ideation is great. It, where you get into the gray area is if you use it for actual output. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk about, um, and so I, I, I was going to say, how are you, how is SEO strategy evolving with AI? But we've kind of just narrowed down that we only, both of us only like ideation. We don't like it with anything else. So I'm going to yeah. skip that. Um, uh, I would love to talk about how, uh, SEO content strategies are evolving, maybe. So the the way that 
it, it used to much more be a game of quantity over quality. Right. Um, and, and that's changed a long time ago and has continued to just increase in quality since that change. So, I mean, we could probably pinpoint this back to 2011's Google Panda algorithm update. And so prior to that, it was much more of quantity content. That's where a lot of these, these, what we would now consider black hat tactics used to work. And so it was like mass produced content at scale, which was largely stealing content from Wikipedia and your competitor sites and spinning content, which is shuffling phrases and paragraphs and sentences. And that actually probably ties in a little bit as we as we transition out of the AI topic. Um, there's probably one thing we could add to that. And that's, an, that's another example of my concern for the liability of AI as output is the idea of, of Google filtering out mass-produced content at scale is not new. So we can go back to this 2011 algorithm update. And the way that AI currently exists right now is largely just a more sophisticated way of mass-producing and spinning yeah. content at scale. Now, if you if you think about when ChatGPT came out, it came out nearly a year ago as of the time we're recording this. And then within, I don't know, four to six months after that, um, Google came out with, Bard. It is highly unlikely that Google produced a product at that scale that quickly. So Google probably had it already, but they didn't release it because it would affect their product. And so, you know, what good would AI produced results be for for Google if you get the result more instantaneously? Therefore, it's going to devalue the visibility on their paid ads, which is a huge part of their revenue. Right. But out of necessity, they were forced to release it. That's what it said. That's what it sounds like what, what happened to me. So the reason why I give you that context, I, I agree is, with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if that's the case, then Google already has a head start on reviewing mass-produced content at scale back to 2011. They already have some AI tool, which they probably reverse engineered the quality content thing as well. Here's where I think they're they're kind of stuck though. Is ChatGPT blew up? And so I think they they may have had a head start, but now they're playing catch up mm-hmm. on the volume of content that is mass produced at scale. So I would be really surprised. I, I would not be surprised if in the near future, Google comes up with a, a, a Panda 2.0 Armageddon on AI, right? Where it yep. just goes after all these patterned AI outputs. So, so that's another reason I have hesitations with AI output. Um, so, so back to the evolution of content. So we've seen kind of that. And, and because of that, back to Panda, it, the focus shifted from quantity to quality. And since then, it's only in, it enhanced more and more and more. And, and probably where, to, where I'll leave off that it's added to that is the, the relevance of content and content that ranks is being more emphasized towards content that solves problems and answers questions. And so the where I start to see AI is gonna is going to crush a lot of agencies and it's going to make a lot of others win. And the main difference is going to be those that know how to tell stories. Like if you think about all the major brands that have survived over the decades or centuries and you know maybe Coca-Cola and McDonald's and things like that they're not mass producing content for volume they they do it because they do volume because they're big brands but they're they're telling stories right and that's why they survive and that's why they thrive so if you're able to find the balance of yeah use technology but 
don't use it at the expense of your credibility and your quality of your output. So figure out how to blend the two and tell stories while solving problems. No, I love it. Um, I think there, there's two other things that we can add to with AI, which is we have the update of the EAT framework to the EEAT framework. And we also have the helpful content update, which uh, came out about maybe a year and a quarter ago, and it's already been updated as well. Um, and you know, we have the quality radar guidelines that have just, I don't know, within the last two, three months been updated as well. Um, that all ties all of that stuff together. And I think those are some of the efforts that Google's making uh, against AI, but I really agree with you that I think that they are caught a little bit with uh, not being aware of how, how huge this was gonna blow up and the amount of content. So we have content that's being put on people's websites and we have content that's being put on other people's websites that's linking back to their sites. So we have probably two algorithms that are gonna show up or it's all going to be wrapped into one like how is it whether it's found on your site or found on other people's sites linking back to you so yeah uh, wondering uh if you can give me uh some feedback on how what do you feel about that maybe on the the backlink referring to main site uh on how backlinks have evolved or well more like uh how uh the use of ai content to create backlinks is it has mm. evolved but um that that's pretty easy to answer because yeah. if you think about AI content and how that ties into backlinks, then the theory is you're mass producing them, right? That's right? If you're using AI, it's to accelerate the acquisition of links. So therefore, you are going after quantity, not quality. And and the common denominator in this dialogue is algorithms have shifted to quality over quantity. Right. Um, and what's fascinating, what a lot of people are surprised when we board an account is certainly backlinks are important, um, but they are the minority of our emphasis. And I, the the value in links has influenced, has shifted so much towards quality over quantity mm -hmm. that you no longer need to crush your competition on your volume of links you just have to be in the ball game and then as long like if we talk about those three core pillars which are structure content and external credibility that's right th then you know most of your visibility is going to come from either content or links or combination but it's only going to be effective if you have a solid structure so when we board a new account the first thing we do is tackle the structure and we go this is the foundation for everything else to be built upon and then what's nice about that is once it's done, it's done. Like unless you go redesign things or tinker with it, it's, if right. you do it right, it's not going to break again. And so then that allows you the flexibility to really focus on becoming an authority through content and then solving the problems and attracting the ideal pre-qualified lead or buyer based on the types of content you create. So sure. then that's what you need to create. And then having links that point to that is icing on the cake. But if you do content correctly, it's going to attract those links organically and you don't need a ton. I mean, you'd be really surprised how many links we see some of these clients. Um, you know, we could have a site in a relatively competitive space where their competition may have, you know, 10,000 links from 2,500 domains and we come in with 300 links from 100 domains and, and just crush them on the results. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not surprised about that at all. Um, actually, at SMX, um, this past SMX, they had a um, a presentation about how um, a domain authority was dead, 
and uh, I think it was made presented by Demand Jump. Um, mm -hmm. But they really uh, showed how, and it's back to the entity topical cluster SEOs. Um, the um, sites that actually had invested, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into referring domains and links, um, really for specific keywords were. They had a decent amount of keywords, but then sites who didn't really do that, they still had some links, but much, much less. Uh, but they focused more on helpful, robust content and really uh, covering the topic in detail and depth. Those sites started to rank for hundreds of keywords on the first page of Google. Yeah. And uh, I think that is the trend. And uh, so that one was actually pretty great because uh, that presentation went into like, finding topics in Wikidata, like what does a Wikipedia, or you could just even say a Wikipedia page, right? So what pages do those link to? What topics are they talking about? Uh, subtopics, like you should, if you want to rank for this, Google loves Wikipedia and Wikidata. Um, you should consider adding those as subtopics, you know? So, and, and, and being more in, in depth and breadth in your content. Yeah, you know, there's um there's there's two things that come to mind when you mention that. Um the idea of DA and DR, domain authority, yeah. domain rating, D dead. anything. Um I will go further than saying it's dead and say it's never mattered at all. Yeah. And, okay. and I'll explain why. Is DA and DR are not metrics that Google Uses. acknowledges. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not anything they pay attention to. And here's where they were birthed. If you've been around SEO long enough, there used to be a metric called page, page rank, rank that yep. was on zero to 10. And it's effectively the same thing that a lot of SEOs know as DA and DR, where it's like the higher, the, the, the more perceived value the site has. So here's what used to happen is all the spammy SEOs would go, oh, I need to spam all the PR, you know, four and above sites. And so most sites, you know, an average site is going to be like a one to three. Right. And like, I remember Facebook was a 10 and Twitter was a nine. And so like you getting like eights and aboves is just not realistic. But what they would do is they would just spam these sites, whether they're partner or side sites to boost the PR and then get links on those sites. And so Google came out and said, they're like, hey, this is kind of being abused. So we're going to not publish it as much. And then eventually they said, we're not going to publish it at all. And then they finally acknowledged, we still use it. We're just not going to tell you about it anymore. Right. And so then all the SEOs went, oh crap, how do we know what to spam? And so then th there was a, a need and these softwares came in and said, we'll fill that need and we'll come up with our own algorithm to identify some sort of DADR quality rating on these sites. Right. So it is literally something that Google does not pay attention to whatsoever. Yep. And uh, Ahrefs and SEMrush and Majestic, if you still use them, all use those type of scores, right? So, and, and Moz as well. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it might imply. Uh, a quality score, but it's it is not a definitive metric. There was one other thing you had mentioned about um, links and volume and things like that. Um, I remember a couple of years ago there I saw Neil Patel speak, and um, he I can't remember the domain he bought. He bought a really popular website um, three four years ago. Uh, actually, it was probably longer than that, like five years ago. And I remember somebody in the crowd asked him. I, I know you 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 know it. Everybody knows it. I just can't think of what it is. And he paid a million bucks for this domain. And then what he did was he redirected it to yep. one of his sites. And somebody said, you know, how did that work out? And he was very candid. And he goes, it did almost nothing. He goes, I did not get a return out of that. So this site had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of high quality links. And he purchased it 
almost the, the way that he described it or I interpreted it was he purchased it almost purely as a backlink acquisition transaction. Sure. And it moved the needle next to nothing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think the reason why it did that was Google's more gone towards is the website and topics topically relevant to uh, your site. And further than, than that, like, uh, the links that are coming into that other site that he act, uh, he bought, right? Um, what is the anchor text and relevancy? So if, if he, what he's using it for linking it to doesn't match up to that, it's not relevant. U Uber suggest it was Uber suggest. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. So, um, he probably pointed that to uh, the public site they were just talking about before. Uh, um. But he he didn't quite answer the public until recently, so it was yeah. it was it was like neilpatel.com slash Uber suggest. So he redirected it to Neil Patel. Yeah, I would change that if I was him over to answer the public. Then it might he, be much more relevant. He might have now. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I was wondering. This is this has been fantastic, and and I love the way you break things down, man. Thanks. Um, you know, I, I get a little comment on that quite often. I didn't realize, I mean, you hear, you, we all know the value of explaining things simplistically. I didn't realize how tangibly beneficial it was until I've had a handful of people mention that. And then I started paying attention to the way I right. communicate things. And it, and it has helped so much. Um, I actually just had a conversation on this with my COO this morning. Um, so this is great, a great thing for newer entrepreneurs um, or, or salespeople to, to hear is I was at um, lunch with a lead the other day and it was, you know, the two clients from, from the one business and then myself and our COO. And we had an opportunity to visualize something for them in showing them reports from a, a client in a different industry, but similar targets right. type of audience. So my COO brought up our, our rank tracking reports and said, look, see, see these keywords and how they're showing up. And it had, you know, the position increases and things like that. And total makes sense to you and I, and, and probably even a lot of people at a beginner level, but you have to realize that the person that you're talking to probably knows nothing. That's right. And so even though all he was doing is going, this moved up five positions, what does moving up mean? Right. Yeah. What does it take to do that? What, and what does that mean? Right. And most people don't even understand, uh, organically, if you work with a lot of CEOs and, and business owners, they may be thinking that it's the same thing as paid spend, right? Like how you yeah. target it. Right. So they don't understand the concept of organic versus, uh, paid. And they think they can, uh, if it's a local business, um, they may actually say, well, I want to show up for every single town around me for this one keyword that's just associated with this one page, right? Which is mm -hmm. just not going to happen, right? Um, so a lot of uh, education, breaking expectations of what they think it's going to be versus realistic expectations. Um, and I don't think a lot of companies do that, right? So I think a lot of companies just promise things and don't explain what it is. And that's why they lose a client in 30 to 90 days, you know? So. Totally, totally agree. Well, one of the best things that uh, I ever did was over communicate. Uh, the more that I can educate a lead or a client, the, the better the engagement is and the longer the retention. And I go so far as to tell the client in, in our contracts, the two pages that get the most feedback, there's, there's one page that, that says, 
here are the reasons not to hire us. And I put them all right, right. there. I put, don't tell us what to do. Yeah. That's, you don't that's get my great. cell phone that's, number. Uh, and most people wouldn't yeah. do that, right? So, but it's really about how fast they need clients, right? Meeting their expectations. Well, the, meeting the expectations is up to the SEO as well, though. And that's to your, to your point is a big gap in the industry. So, you know, a very common thing that we talk about as an industry is, oh, it takes a year, right? But why does it take a year? That's what you're missing in communicating to the clients is setting those expectations. And that's the difference between having somebody for three to six months versus five to 10 years. For sure. For sure. Well, listen, this has been amazing. How can people reach out to you? Uh, you know, is there a website, social links? How, how should they connect with you? Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Matt. This was fun. Um, I like digging deeper on these things. Um, you go to damonburton.com. You can find it all there. You can reach out to me for SEO. My social handles are there. And then I also wrote a best-selling book on SEO. You can get a free PDF copy on there. Well, Damon, this has been awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Entrepreneur's Marketing Journey podcast. Now, to get the most value from this episode, make sure to check out the show note resources in the episode on emjpodcast.com. And if you feel like you got value from the episode and you'd like to receive more marketing tips from us, then feel free to subscribe to the podcast on the podcast platform of your choice so you never miss out on an episode. This is the Entrepreneur's Marketing Journey Podcast with Matt Hepburn, and we'll see you next time.